saw the title of today's sermon, I was very confused. I have to tell you, alien invasion. In fact, I texted Jen, who are the aliens? Literally. Because when I was reading the scripture, the first thing that came to mind was aliens. Isn't that what comes to mind when you think of aliens? Yeah. The aliens are coming. Oh, no. So we have aliens. Then the other thing that came to mind was the not-so-bad aliens. Good clink, clink. From Toy Story. Yeah, they're, they're cute, right? They're not ugly or weird-looking like these aliens, although these are smiling. Um, so these aliens came to mind. But I didn't see either of those kind of aliens in the scripture passage. Did you? No. So then I said, okay, so maybe, maybe it's this one. Maybe Jesus is the alien because he's a heavenly creature. Come down, right? Like these guys, right? They're, they're not human. They're something from out there somewhere. And Jesus is a, from out there. And well, I wouldn't call him an alien, though. And then I said, well, maybe, maybe it's these guys. These guys, right? Sometimes we think of aliens as people, well, a lot of times we say illegal aliens, people that come into our country from another country. And so these guys weren't from Israel, they weren't from Bethlehem, they were from other places. So maybe they're the aliens that she's talking about. Okay. Well, they are in the story. So and then I got to the end of the story for today, and I realized that these three were also aliens in the story because they left home and went to another country. They went to Egypt. So they were aliens in Egypt. And then I went, hmm, okay, so now what do I do with all this? Except that I think time's up. <laughs> so my, my brilliant daughter reminded me about these little guys and something that these little guys always say. Anybody know what, besides, ooh, what do these guys often say? Take me to your leader? No, I think that's what these guys say. <laughs> these guys say something else. Can you tell us? You have saved our lives. We are eternally grateful. And I thought, hmm. Maybe these guys would have said that as well. Because these guys didn't grow up with the Hebrew scriptures. They didn't grow up with all the prophecies that the Jewish people had. But they saw a star, and they knew that star meant something, and so they followed it. And God talked to them through dreams and said, here's my son, come and worship. 
and they may have said, you have saved us. We are eternally grateful. I think that we can join these aliens in saying, you have saved us, and we are eternally grateful. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you came to earth. You came as a baby to grow among us, to show us the way, and to save us. We thank you that you included all of us in this story, whether we were from Bethlehem or from some distant land, aliens in strange places. We thank you that you included all of us in your plan for salvation. You have saved us, and we are eternally grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to tell you the story, but I'm going to tell you it. Um, about two weeks ago, before I had even started working on this sermon, I had a dream that I was preaching this sermon, and that God had shown me something about this passage that I was completely unable to communicate, and I, I could see all of you glazing over, and so I just kept talking to try to explain what I was seeing in the passage, and, and people were leaving, and finally, David Bertrand stands up in the back and says, we're pushing 11.30, wrap it up! <laughs> So, so I don't know if there was a line in our first hymn today about honest preaching, so I'm just being honest with you. Um, Barb struggled with the children's sermon, and David said at the Bible study they had a hard time knowing where this was going to. Um, I really do feel like God showed me something in this, and I had a really hard time writing it, so we'll see how it goes. Um, all that to say, we really need to pray about this. So let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, when your word goes out, it does not return void. And this is in your scripture, this passage is in your scripture on purpose. And so I ask that you will help me to speak clearly and help all who are listening to hear and give them the understanding of what it is that you want us to hear from you in this passage today. These are your words ultimately, not mine, not Barb's, not David's, not any of ours, but yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know if any of you watch those TV shows where they're usually like detective shows or cop shows where somebody is trying to figure out something and they have like this board or this wall in their house and there's like post-it notes everywhere and lines and strings and, and all that kind of thing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So... Um, what are people trying to do with those chaotic graphs? Figure it out, make connections. Right. So they're, they're trying to figure out, okay, did this person know this person? And who is this really? And what did they do? And, and who did what? And um, I may do that the further we get into this, <laughs> the further we get into this sermon series. Because Matthew is kind of doing that with this gospel, I am starting to imagine that he was the guy, I mean, he was, he was a tax collector, so he had obviously had some aptitude with um, systems and, and numbers and stuff, so I'm kind of imagining him putting post-it notes all over his house and strings and lines and Jesus' life and the Old Testament stories and 
what happened later in Jesus' life and in the Christian church. He's telling us the story of Jesus, but he's showing us how all the different things in Jesus' life connect to each other and how they connect to the Hebrew scriptures, which in a way are also the events of Jesus' life. And today's post-it is a really weird one. It's got magicians and angels and a homicidal king and the unnecessary death of a whole town's worth of little boys. Matthew is the only gospel writer to include this story. And so some people say, well, it didn't really happen. He was trying to he just was trying to make a point. If that were the case, what the heck point was he trying to make? <laughs> it doesn't really make sense that if none of this stuff happened, he would just decide to insert it in his gospel. So what do you think he's trying to say? So he's trying to say what happened, but none of the other gospel writers tell this story. We, most of the time, this story of the wise men, the Magi, is interpreted as this is what shows us that the good news of Jesus Christ was for the whole world because they were Gentiles and they weren't even from, they probably weren't even from the Roman Empire, and they came to the Christ child. And that shows us that Gentiles were ultimately going to be part of the people of God, too, if they received Jesus. And I think that's accurate, but I don't think that it goes far enough. We need to remember what Matthew's trying to do with his gospel. He is trying to establish that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He's writing primarily, his intended audience is Jewish people who have not yet received or perceived that Jesus is their Messiah. So he's trying to establish that. He is trying to establish that Jesus is the fulfillment and or the completion of the scriptures, which up to that point is just the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. And he's trying to establish what the point of the story is. While he is doing that, he's also trying to remind his people, the Jews, of their true calling as people of the covenant with Abraham. You'll Maybe, maybe you remember, last week we looked at the um, genealogy. Matthew starts the genealogy with Abraham. Luke has a genealogy. He starts his with Adam because Luke was a Gentile, and he's talking more about the universal scope of the Messiah. But Matthew's talking to Jewish people, and so he's saying, we, we start with Abraham. As a people, we start with Abraham. There's a covenant that God established with us through Abraham. And that covenant ultimately was about blessing all peoples through our people. Part of the reminder, so Matthew's trying to remind the Jewish people of this covenant, their connection to this covenant that they were supposed to fulfill. And part of the reminder involves showing them how they didn't keep it. How they failed. And T. Wright says, for Matthew, part of Jesus' role and vocation is precisely to make Israel's story complete. As son of God, he is, as it were, Israel in person, succeeding at last where Israel had failed. 
So historically, as described in the Old Testament, mainly in the prophets, but actually through the entire Old Testament, um, the Israelites had failed the covenant in two main ways. The first way was they became very religious. They very religiously observed the sacrificial laws. They did all of the things, but they had actually given their hearts to idols. So they were living by the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law was completely gone. That was the first thing. And then because of that, when their hearts were no longer anchored in the one true God who desired to bless all peoples through them, they ended up, as a result, taking advantage of the most vulnerable people among them. And the prophets in the Old Testament usually categorize, and also the first five books of the Bible, usually categorize the vulnerable people in a couple different ways. They talk about the poor, and then they, there's this sort of group of three, this trifecta, widows, orphans, and aliens. And we could say um, the poor, are, that's obvious, widows, um, at the time, if a woman was not attached to a man in some way, there was no way to, for her to support herself. She didn't have a whole lot of autonomy. And so that was an issue. And then orphans, that's a focus on children and the needs of children and the importance of children. And aliens, aliens are foreigners or um, ethnic minorities within the, the dominant group. So this story is actually about all of those people. Um, and the thing that it overall, it's kind of three separate stories, but they're all interconnected. And the overall message is kind of to show the people of God, whoever they are, are always being tempted to make ourselves at home within empire. And we're using that term as shorthand to kind of talk about um, the spiritual powers in the world that oppose God, and also the impulses, the sinful impulses within ourselves. Um, and it works especially in the Gospel of Matthew, because Matthew was writing during the time of the Roman Empire, so there was a literal empire that was ruling over God's people. Um, we are, God's people in any era, our temptation is always between the kingdom of God and empire. Matthew includes this story in his evidence, in his little post-it notes, uh, because, for two reasons, sometimes it takes aliens or outsiders to show the people of God what God is doing and remind those same people what they are here for. And the other reason is, sometimes God's people whoever and wherever they are, need to remember that we were aliens too before God included us in his people, especially those of us that do not have Jewish background. We were all aliens, all of us, and we need to remember that. And on some level, God's people are always supposed to be aliens in terms of empire in terms of the powers of the world. We are never supposed to fit in or blend in. So, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So who are these Magi? 
wise men, okay. What's that? Aliens. Aliens, right? <laughs> foreigners, right. So they were foreigners, definitely. They were probably Persian, um, or at least from somewhere out that way, they had a totally different system of faith, and they also, if they were Persian or part of the Persian Empire, they were not under the Roman Empire. So they weren't even part of the same world system. They were educated um, to be magi or magicians in those cultures. You would have had to have some training. You, they, were the, they were the wise people, the, uh, the learned people. And they have some kind of spiritual um, openness or awareness. They get their spiritual input from sources other than scripture, but they probably don't have the scripture, so um, they may have had some interaction with Jewish people, though, if they were in fact from Persia, Persian, the Persian Empire at one point ruled over the Hebrew people, and so, and Esther was, she was a Jewish queen of Persia, so there may have been some interactions. Um, the, the sources for their spiritual authority were actually at least astrology, maybe some other things. Um, but they were sources that God in Scripture tells his people not to consult. So in the old, the really Old Testament, <laughs> you don't consult the dead, you don't consult the stars, you don't worship idols, you don't, fortune-telling, that kind of thing is not acceptable to God in Scripture, and there are reasons for that, we don't need to get into that. But... God will communicate his truth through whatever means necessary to get people where they need to be to encounter him for themselves. So that, it seems clear, is what happens with the Magi. Now, who is Herod? He's a king, kind of. <laughs> um, we don't need to go into all of the history right now, but... He was the king of the Jews. He was mainly Jewish. He wasn't in the line of David, and he was appointed king of the Jews by Rome. He did some great things for the Jews in that he upgraded their temple that they had rebuilt after coming back from exile. Um, so it was really beautiful and impressive. But he was actually a horrible person. He was majorly, majorly paranoid and homicidal. He had a favorite wife who he killed. I forget why. Um, it had to do with his paranoia. He also killed two of his sons because he was afraid that they were going to do away with him. Um, he was very power hungry and pretty much insane. Um, and so these open-minded, intelligent, educated, seeking foreigners arrive in Jerusalem and end up facing this homicidal maniac. Right. But they don't know that. Um, it kind of makes sense that they would go to Jerusalem. They're looking for a king, right? Jerusalem's the capital city. Makes sense to go there. Here's something weird, though, that I didn't think about until this morning. They go to Jerusalem, and they go to the king, and they ask him, where is the one to be born who is born king of the Jews? Where is the one who is born to be king of the Jews? Why would they ask that? 
if they thought he was going to be in Jerusalem? I don't know. Um, but one thing that that question did in the story is it alerts God's people in the story, who we don't know who they are, but, and it also alerts the powers the king of the Jews is born. When King Herod heard their question, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So let's just say, King Herod didn't have a lot of fans in all Jerusalem, but if the news gets out that a brand new king of the Jews has been born, everybody knows what Herod's like. Of course they're all disturbed. Herod's disturbed. We are also disturbed. <laughs> Something bad's going to happen. It's so interesting what's happening here. Everything seems upside down and backwards. None of this is going the way you would think that it would go. You have some pagans who, through stargazing, have learned that an important Jewish king has been born, and the Jews who have been waiting for this important Jewish king, who have a whole book of prophecies about it, have no idea that their important Jewish king has been born. The pagans have to alert them to it. And then Herod does something which we would think, if we had never read the story before and we didn't know anything about Herod, we would think this is the righteous thing to do. You, you're posed with this question. You don't know the answer to it. Consult scripture, right? So when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And the answer that they're looking for is in scripture. Where is the Messiah to be born? The chief priests and the teachers of the law quote the exact verse. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. But even though Herod's consulting scripture and the religious leaders are quoting scripture, the right scripture, they're doing it for all the wrong motives, and the, the, quote, the quoters are leaving out the context the context is, the context of the Messiah is that he is the anointed king of the chosen people. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The context of the chosen people is that they were to bless all peoples. And you can actually see this. I included the passage that this quote comes from, Micah, as our responsive reading. So you can see it for yourselves. You can actually pull out your bulletin and look at it. The religious leaders quote the first part of that passage, and they stop quoting, partly probably because they had answered the question, they had literally answered it, the king is supposed to be born in Bethlehem, but maybe also because either, because the next verse doesn't feel very good, and maybe also because if they kept quoting, their next might be on the line. The next verses say, Therefore, Israel will be abandoned, that doesn't sound good, until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. When they stop with that first verse... It just sounds like there's a king who's coming for the Jews. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to shepherd his people Israel. But if you keep going, you see it's for everybody. 
It's for the Gentiles too. His greatness will reach to the end of the earth. And right there in the throne room of King Herod, Jesus' greatness is already reaching to the ends of the earth. Because the ends of the earth are standing right there telling the people of God about this king and asking to see him. And the chosen people of God in that courtroom that day either A, don't get it, B, are afraid to point it out, or C, are already setting in motion a plan to prevent the covenant of Abraham from being fulfilled. In fact, Herod is planning to take advantage of these aliens, which is one way of opposing the covenant, to help him destroy the fulfillment of God's promise. These particular aliens don't seem maybe so vulnerable. They're educated and learned, and they probably have money and that kind of thing, but they can still be taken advantage of, which is often what happens with foreigners into another country. So they don't know. Herod says, when you find this king, let me know where he is, because I would love to worship him too. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And they, they go there, and they find Jesus, and they find Mary, and they do homage to Jesus. And N.T. Wright says, they bring him things that people in the ancient world would think of as appropriate presents to bring to kings or even to gods. Last week we saw that God with us was kind of an inclusio to the Gospel of Matthew, meaning it's, it's at the beginning and it's at the end. Um, we hear that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and then at the end he says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. That's actually the last line of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, today there's another one, a step in. The nations are coming to him in chapter 2, and right before he says, I'll be with you always to the end of the age, he says, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. So Matthew's kind of designing his book like an onion, where it just, the parallels get closer and closer. And there's one other one that's another step inward. These spiritually sensitive magi get a dream, and I'm sure they're used to getting dreams that tell them spiritual things, and they, the dream says, go home, don't go back through Jerusalem, avoid that dude, he's bad news. So they do. And then another angel comes to Joseph. Um, last week I said Joseph heard an angel, heard and obeyed an angel two times, but it's actually four. There are three of the times in this story itself. But an angel says, go to Egypt. Herod wants to kill Jesus. So they go to Egypt. The nations have just been to visit the Messiah. And now, as Barb pointed out, the Messiah and his parents are refugees and aliens among the nations. But... Not just any nation. They have gone to Egypt. What is significant about Egypt to the Jews? Let my people go. Egypt is the house of slavery. So toddler Jesus, with his parents, goes back into the house of slavery from which God had freed the people thousands of years before. At the first Passover, lambs were slaughtered, and their blood was painted over the door so that the angel of death, who was killing all the firstborn males in Egypt, would pass over their homes and spare their sons. And this is the third inclusio in. We have Jesus going to Egypt, and then we have the crucifixion narrative at the end of the book. 
But God's firstborn son in this chapter is going back into Egypt, and while he's there, all the infant boys in Bethlehem get slaughtered. This is one of the most troubling stories in the New Testament. Why did a bunch of baby boys have to die for Jesus? Well, Herod's jealousy. And yeah, actually, that's a point. On one level, though, this story is so disturbing. On this side of the new heavens and earth, I don't know that we will ever be able to understand fully the answer. I certainly don't believe that it was a punishment somehow for Israel's failure to keep God's covenant with Abraham, but it is a picture of what happens when God's people give in to our own sin and get too comfortable with the ways of empire, which exactly is what Herod's jealousy was. Herod was a Jew who had completely sold out to empire, and all he wanted was power, and he was madly jealous and paranoid, and that is horrific deaths of innocent people is what happens. The logical conclusion, final conclusion, of when we completely sell out to our sin and the, the powers that oppose God. Killing a town full of baby boys is classic empire. Empire is terrified of the vulnerable. Terrified of the vulnerable because it knows but does not understand that it is through the vulnerable that God will establish and defend his kingdom, like we saw in Psalm 8. Through the, past, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. Let's be real. Empire, the false gods, our sin nature, has been butchering children for millennia. It was happening in child sacrifice among the Israelites themselves um, they, when they capitulated to pagan idolatry around them. They were sacrificing their children to idols. King Herod, we see it in genocides around the world, and we see it in abortion in our day. And abortion is a primary concern for the people of God. One of you posted a meme about that this week, and it is a big deal. It matters. And it is not the only one. Abortion has to be dealt with in connection with our care for all the other vulnerable. In the Old Testament, God identified all the vulnerable as those for whom his heart beats and as those for whom he intends his people's hearts to beat. The poor, the defenseless, the children, and foreigners and or minorities, wherever they may be. In this chapter, Matthew is re-identifying those, those groups of people, the vulnerable people, and he is showing his readers that not only did God humble himself in becoming a human in general, a little lower than the angels, God humbled himself by becoming each of these vulnerable populations. God became a child. 
and a poor person. We know that even though the Magi brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, probably that had to get sold off to get to Egypt and live there. Um, and when before that happened, when they, in Luke, uh, we know that the Mary and Joseph couldn't afford the more expensive sacrifice when they dedicated Jesus at the temple, so they had to, they, they were not wealthy, so God became a child, God became a poor person, God became an ethnic minority in Egypt, and a refugee from Herod. He became all of the vulnerable people that the Abrahamic covenant was designed to bless. In doing this, he is reminding Israel and all of us who have been grafted into Israel that we have also been these vulnerable populations. And it is through weakness and vulnerability that God will set things right. This is God, once again, in the business of overturning our expectations. Empire will try to convince us that power is what matters. It is the only way to get things done. We need to get it at all costs, and then when we have it, we need to hang on to it, no matter what. Empire will even try, like happened in this story, to convince the people of God that we can best care for the vulnerable through Empire's own channels. Which can, doesn't have to, but can include um, legislation, or it can include partnering with whoever's in power. If there were faithful people among the chief priests and the teachers of the law in Herod's court that day, we don't know about them because they didn't speak up and they quoted scripture, but they only quoted the part that wasn't going to get them in trouble. And so the aliens got taken advantage of and babies got killed. This is the upside-down way that the world works that seems right-side up to us because we live in it, and that's just what we know. We, too, even as God's people, have often and historically failed the covenant with Abraham to bless all peoples, but Jesus fulfilled it. And Jesus intends to fulfill it in us. And this is our hope and this is the message of this story, and through our praise, even the simple praise of children and infants, God will defend his kingdom and the vulnerable. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you became one of us, a child and poor and an alien. You became vulnerable to build your kingdom, and we just want to follow you. Please show us how to do that as we continue through this Gospel of Matthew and as we continue in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen.